God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by Leonor Cravota. Hello, Leonor. Good morning, Scott. So um, I want to talk about the uh, Ukraine conflict because there's so much going on. Absolutely. A lot of a lot of information, misinformation. But in the end of the day, you can count on one thing. The middle class is going to get crushed. The middle class is going to get Crushed by higher gas prices. Gas is up to $3.57 a gallon, which went up, I believe, two cents within the last two days. And it's uh, going to go over $4 in, in California. It's probably there. But the problem is, is not only is this a fleecing of the middle class and a redistribution of their wealth to the government, because in California, for example... If it's over $4 a gallon, you're going to spend $80 on filling up your gas tank. And the tax you pay on $80 is a lot more tax than if you spend $35. And it's not just filling up your gas tank, as everybody well knows. It's also the cost of fuel impacts every almost every good industry. You, you have to transport the goods. I mean, and when you, and when you add that to the, to the mix, the expenses of everything will go up. That's right. But you know who's going to benefit? Sacramento. Gavin Newsom. They're going to bring in more money because they're selling bigger ticket items. Mm -hmm. Every time someone goes to the pump, instead of spending uh, $35, they're spending $80. Right. And there's more tax then that's going into the the government of California. Um, but it's it's their mistake, right? What's going on in in, in Ukraine is their mistake. This is the kind of thing that's been going on in glo with globalists for a long time. For forever. All of these conflicts in the Baltic states and, and elsewhere. Uh, all this struggle for uh, this Marxist utopia. You know, I was watching yesterday a uh, history and an evolution of Russia. Before Stalin, after Stalin, 
and Gorbachev and Glasnost and Perestroika and all this uh, that was happening in the 80s uh, and all the different Baltic states that arose from that. And one thing Russia learned is when they sat on their hands and did nothing, when the Warsaw Pact happened or all these different things were happening, these uprisings, these protests, these rebellions, uh, they did nothing. They just kind of let it go because they didn't want the optics uh, of <clears throat> cracking down on their people. And more and more, uh, when the government threw a blind eye, sort of like with the Marxists of the, the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter Marxists, Antifa Marxists, turn a blind eye to this Marxism. And next thing you know, it it it, it, it grows and I think what, what's going on in the psyche of someone like Vladimir Putin is he sees that and he says, not again. Not again and we're going to sit on our hands. We're Russia and we're going to stand up and we're going to grab what's ours. Now, in this case, Ukraine, Ukraine wasn't even really relative to, you know, why are we even worried about Ukraine? It's a small country. Yeah. Um, but the situation is we fleeced that country for all it's worth. It was a, became a money laundering country, sort of like Cyprus is a money laundering island, Cyprus down in the Mediterranean. And then, you know, Latvia and Lithuania and uh, Montenegro, all of these different players are part of the money laundering scheme. And that's where we found Lindsey Graham and John McCain basically – uh, doing a lot of business uh, and connecting that with the Middle East. And again, those four currencies, human trafficking, gas uh, gas and oil, uh, drugs, and uh, weapons, all were in play. And so when they talk about Obama, you know, only selling blankets and pillows, it was Lindsey Graham and John McCain on the black market selling and profiting and getting rich off of these other military-industrial complex black market deals. These were private deals. Legal. They were legal because black market's not illegal. You could do private purchases of weapons if you're a country. You could buy it from a private supplier. And a lot of big-time investors connected with Mitt Romney's conglomerates or say the owner of the Minnesota Twins or someone like that uh, could get involved and plant seed money. You know, there's a movie called War Dogs that uh, is a pretty good movie. talks about all these uh, gray markets where the government contracts get involved and you can make a lot of money. Even if it's small contracts, you can make lots of money. You can make millions per year on small contract bids. And if you know the right people, you get those bids without competition, your profit margins are high, and your distribution channels are open. So, you know, a lot of public policy is swayed by these black market deals where don't sell them, don't sell them any uh, Javelin missiles or defense mechanisms. Don't sell them this because I got something, I got a supplier for that. So just sell them blankets and pillows and we'll be okay. And we got our son put on the board of Burisma and so on and so forth. So a lot of corruption led to, to where we are right now. Ukraine gained leverage. 
caused a lot of panic. But beyond that, it caused a lot of panic in Russia. Now we have the Chechen, Chechen army uh, that's joined forces with the Russian army to support Russia's invasion. And, you know, are they going to take over the whole country? Probably not. They're, but they want to decapitate, take out, take out Kiev. And and Kiev is clearly um, un- outmatched by Russia. I mean, you, you're, you're talking oh, yeah. about you know a, a major difference between uh, the amount of arsenal they have. Russia has over thirteen thousand tanks, where you, the Ukraine only has over two thousand. I mean, there's yeah. a you know major disparity there. Right. I, 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 absolutely. <laughs> now you know, listening to General Kellogg talking about this, uh, General Kellogg was talking about how they shouldn't run; they should optically fight to the last yeah. stand. Uh, and then you have a rebellion going on within the country. Well, that's interesting because uh, then he also said at the same breath, don't run. But then he said that Zelensky should operate from exile. And what's interesting about that is Zelensky is operating from exile or, or could be. Right. But now they're saying oh, like Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill would. Let, let it be known that he was walking the streets of London or England, wherever he was during World War II, where he would let it be known that he did not flee the country. He was not in exile. He was right there fighting alongside his, his countrymen. And <clears throat> so the situation is Zelensky, in his military garb, said, I'm not leaving. My family is target number one, and we're here to fight to the end. And... That, that runs counter to Zelensky. I mean, that runs counter to Kellogg and what Kellogg was saying. Kellogg was saying that he should probably flee to exile and operate from a place, an unknown place. But the interesting part about that is when Zelensky is there, letting it be known he's in the capital, I think it would be really bad PR for Russia to take out a foreign leader, take out Zelensky uh, in another country. And I think that would be a bridge too far. And the bridge too far, speaking of bridge too far, they're, they're already blowing up bridges coming from Belarus. Yes. Which is down from the north to, to, to prevent the tanks from coming in. And they want to get that airstrike coverage. But Russia's failing a little bit with regard to taking over some of the airports in the Donbass region, which is the southeast region of Ukraine. And so it's an interesting cons, you know, construct of what's happening. But Zelensky, by being there, runs counter to what Kellogg, one of our great generals, so supposedly great generals, said. And I think it's a strategic um, strong point for Zelensky to stay there because it presents a, a little bit of a prob- problem for Putin. Because Putin, I don't think, is going to go that extra mile and murder the leader of a a neighboring country, an independent country, a sovereign country, a democracy, a democratic country, if you want to call it that. Really, it's not, but uh, in Ukraine. And again, all of these things are rolled up into one thing. And the one thing that we're talking about is Ukraine wasn't worth it, but they were exploited. They were fleeced. They were corrupted. They were used for money laundering. They're a rogue nation to a certain degree. Russia going in there is in part because Putin never really recognized the 
destruction or the uh, breaking apart of the USSR in the first place. He never recognized the sovereignty of the the Ukraine or the other um, provinces. That's right. And... And so here we are with this conflict. But, you know, he took Crimea under the nose of Obama, who did nothing. And he's taken Ukraine under the nose of Biden. But he never would have thought twice about doing this under Trump because Trump would have played a hard line. And he, he, Trump was unpredictable. Uh, and it, Trump had a track record of being uh, someone who says what he means and means what he says as well. You take a look at what happened in Syria, for example. That involved Russia, too. And Lindsey Graham was all upset about uh, our pulling out of Syria because that was a cash cow for Lindsey Graham. So what happens? As soon as Trump, Donald Trump says, I'm pulling out of Syria, what's, what's there for us? Um, next thing you know, what happened was there was a false flag attempt uh, attack. And that kept us there for a little while. And that false flag attempt was probably waged by the military-industrial complex who wanted to continue business as usual. Meanwhile, Russia, they kind of know what's going on. And I don't think that uh, Putin uh, is too concerned about any kind of sanctions that Biden might be coming up with. So Biden is coming up with these sanctions. And yesterday he had a press conference and a lot of questions were flying And he was asked about these various sanctions. The sanctions are not effective. Obviously, they didn't work. Now he's making excuses saying they weren't supposed to work. Well, yeah, they were kind of. But what's the point? Because people are dying in the streets right now as a result of not only the corruption in Ukraine, but this could have been avoided so easily. I mean, with Ukraine, the situation is NATO would speak up. United States would speak up and say, Ukraine's never going to be part of NATO. They are no lo- never, never going to be a threat to Russia. Uh, and so Russia wouldn't have a reason to go into Ukraine. But because of all of the corruption and all the false promises and all the winks and nods and the weakness of someone like Ag- Angela Merkel, talking out of both sides of her mouth, talking about green initiatives, but yet at the same time hoarding all of the oil from Nord Stream 1 and 2 coming straight into Germany. And so they couldn't afford that. Then you have the monetary system, this, this swift monetary system that was promised that was going to be part of the sanctions and part of the rollout. And that was supposed to create a problem. But then what ended up happening is they ended up they ended up uh, realizing that Russia has another outlet with China. Yeah. So that so the thing is, uh, Biden received some questions during the press briefing, like, why aren't you pushing forward with uh, taking Russia off of SWIFT? And Boris, um, in um, in London, uh, you know, the, the leader of London also uh, was basically saying, Boris, Boris Johnson was essentially pushing for the same thing. But the reality is, um, that there are other ways to come at Russia's banking system by going directly to the banks because of the risk. And right now we have the United States has blocked 80 percent of Russian banking transactions. And I believe Europe has blocked about 70 percent. But the the risk of going after SWIFT, according to people who have expertise in this area, is that you would 
block the um, dollar-driven systems. And that would give rise to an opportunity for Russia and and China to um, work together with China's system. And, you know, and and that way they would rise together and the West would be blocked. So protocol... Uh, which is a news organization, came out with an interesting piece. And I wrote this on a tweet over at my social media. It says, uh, blocking Russia from SWIFT could have the unintended consequence of strengthening China-Russia relations, particularly in their monetary system that they are trying to develop, which could lead to early adoption from the West of the Russian-China system. This would strengthen Russia, China from future sanctions, and the West is now in a weaker position than ever. Right. So one of the things is fearing crypto and China, the U.S. hesitates to pull Russia's SWIFT access. The U.S. is hesitant to block Russia from SWIFT in part because doing so could push the global economy away from the U.S. dollar and into the hands of China. Exactly, which is an even greater risk because people keep downplaying the significance of China in all of this because we're also focused right now on the threat that Russia is posing to the Ukraine. So here, this uh, person, Hirsch Chikara, writes this piece and says, and wrote it on uh, February 22nd. So this has been talked about for a while. Following Russia's uh, movement, of troops into two separate regions of eastern Ukraine, the U.S. and its Western allies are poised to begin rolling out sanctions. So we in Germany are prepared to pay a high price economically. That's why everything is on the table. Well, Germany proved not to do that because they were so afraid that um, not only would Russia uh, withhold oil uh, from their pipelines to Germany, uh, but also they could they could also withhold palladium. Uh, palladium apparently is this precious metal used to make all kinds of different like printed circuit boards and se- things like that. Yeah, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So they're rich with all those those uh, assets, and they could cripple. They could they could do their own sanctions, and then you know there's all this talk about cyber warfare as well, like a full blown. Cyber war, and of course, Russia has already said a cyber war is akin to any other kind of war. Yeah, you might as well throw a missile up in the air. Yeah, so hackers around the world are actually gaining ground and going after Russia. Russia's own people are standing up in St. Petersburg, where Vladimir Putin is from, and rejecting the invasion of Ukraine. They want peace, they don't want this. Russian aggression. What next? After Ukraine, after Crimea, it's Ukraine. After Ukraine, what next? Is it going to be Belarus? Because they're such allies of Russia. They're pro-Russia in Belarus. <clears throat> is it? Is it uh, Chechnya? Is it? What, what is it? It's, where, where next? Is it going to be Latvia and Lithuania? And then, and then is it going to be Poland after that? So, you know, of course, Poland would be a different different nut. But already there's these unintended consequences. Mistakes were made. Like, for example, a boat, a ship, uh, a Turkish ship, a NATO ship, if you're talking about Turkey, uh, was hit by Russia. Now what? 
If they start sinking NATO ships, what's NATO going to do? So here we are with weak leadership in the West and corruption in the West. And the only one that's really being fleeced is the middle class. The globalists are not paying the price here. And that's what happens with every war. The, the middle class ends up paying for it because uh, during the, you know, during the uh, war time, they're either paying for, you know, back in the day, war bonds or other types of things. They create the debt. The debt rolls over after the war is over, and suddenly the costs of goods has escalated. No, but the West should be ashamed of themselves because they're in such a weak position yeah. right now because they've equivocated and they gave so much strength to Russia, and all for greed. <clears throat> it's basically uh, not long-term thinking. It's short-term thinking. Short-term thinking with a quick buck in mind. Yeah. Because everybody is thinking about their boat and their beach house, right? They're not thinking about country anymore. And this is what happens with globalists and globalism in general. This is what I've been talking about for months now. You know, when we talk about, when I've talked about Benny Hill or, or uh, Monty Python and the uh, globalization, the multiculturalism that goes on in England, no longer do you have the bloke going down to the pub telling old great Irish stories or English stories or what have you. It's, it's, people don't even know the stories. You ask a radical Islamic jihadi living in London, you know, praying to his, his God, which is Amir Khan, the mayor of London. And, uh, and at the end of the day, what, 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 what are you going to have? You're going to have basically someone that doesn't even know who Winston Churchill is, doesn't know a Beatles song to save their life, never heard of Bondi Python, and doesn't get Benny Hill, right? I mean, so what are you there to defend? Because you're not even in your own home country where you were born. You're a radical Islamic jihadi. So when your country calls on you to defend your borders and your country, what are you actually defending? What culture are you defending? What identifier are you? And if you erase history like the Democrats want to do in our country, where they want to tear down statues and destroy our history and, and change our education system to critical race theory and and, and Common Core and indoctrination and basically try to steal your children away from you like in these school districts where they say the child is a member of the community. The child belongs to the state. Yeah, the child what does belongs that sound to the community like? and that the state. That sounds like communism. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's no longer about individual parenting. It's these, it's, the middle class is being attacked on all fronts. And... You know, when the hackers uh, hacked Colonial Pipeline and when they hacked the JDS meatpacking plants, uh, which were huge conglomerates, well, that helped, that helped Bill Gates with his synthetic beef. That uh, helped Ocasio-Cortez's agenda pushing the Green New Deal. Uh, at the same time, Biden was pushing these electric trucks that, you know, he was uh, by Ford. And uh, across the board, electric vehicles. We don't even know what's going to happen with these batteries, for example. What are we doing with all these batteries? These car batteries are not like regular batteries. They're humongous, very heavy batteries. What are we going to do with these batteries when they wear out and run out? When a car gets into an accident, what do you do with the battery? 
Isn't that the question you always get when you're shipping a package? Are you, sh- are you shipping a lithium battery? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Batteries are a different thing. Yeah. And you can't put them in the ocean. It's battery acid, right? Yeah. I mean, where do you put them? Where yeah. do you dump where, it? Where do they go? Yeah. What, what is it going to do to our, our earth? What kind of negative impact is that going to be? You know, with fossil fuels, it's already in the earth. We're, we're taking it from the earth. And... Uh, you know, and, and, and as far as inflation is concerned, you know, they were asked about, uh, Jen Psaki was asked about the Keystone Pipeline. Why don't you, why don't you uh, consider that, reversing course on that? She said, well, what good would that do? There's no oil flowing through the pipeline. That's because she shut it down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, that's the funny like, part of all is this. Is that your final answer? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that is not an answer. That's what, she's working on getting her next job. She pl- you know, she only planned to be press secretary for a certain amount of time, as most press secretaries do. And it's out there that she's you know going to get a media position again. So, yeah, it, it's pretty it's pretty pathetic how they are how they are responding to what is going on right now. So I want to get back to this swift thing a little bit so it says but even u.s allies have an uneasy relationship with swift they know their banks rely on it but would prefer to turn toward less u.s centric alternatives this has a lot to do with the russia the gold standard right the gold standard uh, we got away from an exchange what we wanted to do is make the dollar the central right. currency and a lot of negative things have happened since we've gotten off the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And partly it's because we didn't have enough discipline. Because if we had the discipline, we would have done the right things. The, the dollar is the right currency. Uh, could have actually been a great benefit. And it was a benefit in the beginning. And it could have been a great benefit going forward. But because we had people that were moronic, like Jerome Powell or... Ben Bernanke and all these people in the Federal Reserve and Federal Reserves around the world in other countries, they were were basically printing up money. And then the more you print it, the more you devalue it. So, yeah. yeah. And so I mean, this was a human error. That's the lack of discipline you're speaking of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, it's like, and let's just standard, go out and shake the money tree. So the gold yeah. standard held you to a standard, right. held you to certain principles that were guided by gold. Uh, and market capitalism and pricing of gold. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about this in the future, in the coming weeks. You know where the gold, gold standard is referenced in a major movie that came out many, many years ago? It's the yellow brick road in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, That's the, yellow, the gold standard. Okay, yeah, you, you know about that. So what, the Tin Man was yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. All right, so the yellow brick road is the, um, is the gold standard. The silver slippers, which were silver in the book, was the silver sta- uh, standard. Not the red slippers. Well, they changed it in the movie to ruby slippers, but in the book, they were silver slippers. So you have a lot of those references because these were key political issues and at the time. what was the Tin Man? The Tin Man was the, iron, the industrial worker. The Scarecrow was the agricultural worker. I mean, so How there was the a lion. The, the lion was supposed to be a very cowardly president at the time. You know, so that okay. that so that so there were there were images like that. But the the, the point in saying my my point in bringing this up is this is an issue that's been around for a long time that we need to figure out what currency is the most tendable, uh, the most reliable for our financial systems. And, you know, with regard to uh, imposing sanctions on Russia, you want to do it in a way where um, you're hurting Russia and you're where they feel the pain. But you don't want to have unintended consequences, right. as we've already so, said. So here it says uh, in this article, it says for Russia and China, the need to develop swift alternatives 
is more pressing. So even if the U.S. chooses not to block Russia from SWIFT, this time around, the threat can certainly still be used as leverage yeah. in future standoffs. Absolutely. So Russia can look toward the example of Iran to see the oil exports, uh, see that oil exports would likely take a serious hit if SWIFT access were cut off. Losing access would reduce Russia's GDP by 5%, according to estimates from the Carnegie Moscow Center, or Carnegie Moscow Center. Some Russian parliamentarians have said swift sanctions would be tantamount to a declaration of war. So as for China, its economy is too large and too important to reasonably be booted from SWIFT. So if you were to sanction SWIFT and somehow China were to get involved and just go with a different currency altogether, what you would have, because China is such a superpower in terms of economics, it would be as crippling to the West as it would be Russia and China. Absolutely. Because then there wouldn't be any exchange of money uh, going back and forth. So at that point, uh, you would be looking at uh, China winning out on that. And China their already has. Is dominant. They already have disproportionate advantages from a trade perspective because of their Communist Party structure. Yeah. So it says as for China, its economy is too large, too important to reasonably be booted from SWIFT. But if China ever wants to seriously challenge the as the global hegemonic power, it will need to develop a viable alternative to SWIFT that helps wean the global financial system off the U.S. dollar. China has so far struggled to promote CNY on SWIFT. Okay, so CNY is the alternative, as the currency only accounts for around two percent of settlements. Here's the catch. Plenty of SWIFT alternatives already exist. The EU, Russia, and China have each created their own systems. There are also emergent blockchain-based alternatives, such as Ripple, which aim to usurp SWIFT through technological prowess rather than political influence. And by the way, a cyber attack war, cyber war, would go right to this right to this of course it would this this is the area of of you know the most egregious attack which would be the financial systems it wouldn't be you know uh hacking into networks to get to 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 wreak havoc on that but we saw what it did we saw what it did to the colonial pipeline remember that yeah remember the colonial pipeline where our own department of energy said Pipelines are the uh, cleanest way to transport oil from the Midwest to the East Coast. But it almost shut down the East Coast. Gas stations were out of oil just from a simple hack attempt against Colonial Pipeline. And the beef industry never recovered fully from that. I know that they're gouging prices and things like that. And, and I know that there's some greed elements involved in the, in the meat industry and elsewhere. But let's face it, you know, the benefactor of that is going to be Bill Gates. So you wonder what's going on. Is Bill Gates buying up infrastructure within the meatpacking plants themselves? And, and do they have uh, cyber hacker uh, partners that are involved in our oil communities? 
Um, is that how the cyber attacks happened? But they did target two areas where the green initiatives were happy. They were happy about <clears throat> raising the price of beef. And just like with the war in Ukraine, they are happy about raising the price of oil around the world because people are going to buy less because they can't afford it. They can't afford an $80 fill-up. They can only afford a $30, $40 fill-up. But to, to, to make it an $80 fill-up, Almost prevent, you know, almost you know, makes it so it's not even justifiable to go to work. It's going to cost me how much now to go to work? Yeah. If I have to drive an hour to work and an hour back home? Yeah, a lot. Right? It's going to cost so a lot. So it's going to cost me a lot. And what's that, what's that going to do to my bottom line? How am I going to put food on my family's table? So there's a lot of impact here. Uh, and again, who's benefiting? The government. Who's benefiting? The liberals. Who's benefiting? The green climate people. They're all benefiting. And who's suffering? The middle class. Certainly isn't the wealthiest of the wealthy. They, they get their limo drivers any way they want. They fly personal jets. They're immune to this stuff. And, and the and people at the, the super- bottom of the spectrum benefit too because they have all the safety net protections. Well, the, the people at the bottom... They're always going to vote left because the left is promising to buy their votes. You know, that's what the left does. The left promises things they can't afford, but they'll buy their votes. So they guarantee the 20% at the bottom. They guarantee the 20% at the top. The 20% at the top, they don't want a rising middle class. It's that rising middle class that's going to actually threaten their livelihood, threaten their benefits, threaten everything that they... uh, they stand for so the the the, uh, middle class rising up is not what the super elite super rich want and uh, and so they can depend on the super rich to basically keep their monopoly and prevent competition from rising up out of the middle class the super poor are completely dependent exactly where the government wants them and can afford 20 percent I don't think the government can afford 60% dependent, though. So they have a delicate balance here. But why do they want to crush the middle class when the middle class is their bread and butter, is, is bringing home, home the bacon, <clears throat> paying the most in taxes? And the reason why is because you can't have a socialism with a strong, vibrant, working middle class. I've said it a thousand times on this show. And that is that people living on the margins don't want to be told what color picket fence they can paint uh, their fence. They they don't want to be told whether they could drive a truck or not or whether they should have gas or a diesel or electric. They don't want to be told uh, that prices are going up. They don't want to be told that they can't go across a bridge because it's unsafe. And so everything that politicians say means something to the middle class. And if it's 60% of the population and it tends to vote based on policies that affect their lives, well, now you got a Donald Trump because that's what Donald Trump was all about. That's what this whole thing about populism, national populism, nationalism, populism is all about. And that's exactly the opposite of what the globalists are about. But when you take a look around the world, at all the, the uh, mistakes and mishaps 
that were made by the globalists, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's Syria, putting our middle-class soldiers' at, uh, lives in jeopardy. They don't care. They don't care about the Ukrainians getting slaughtered in the streets. They don't care. They don't care about the people dying along the southern border. They don't care. They don't care about those refugees that are hanging from a plane trying to keep their family safe for out of Afghanistan. No. They just want to make sure that they go to Wisconsin and vote, which is what ended up happening with a lot of those Afghan refugees. They just want the corporations and their corporate partners to be happy with that slave labor market. All those cheap labor people coming through our southern border, cheap labor coming through our refugee programs and through UN programs, and all this displacement from these enriched soil properties, whether it's Africa or Kazakhstan or Russia or Uzbekistan or Tajikistan, all these different countries that are poor and developing uh, have all these enriched minerals used to make planes and semiconductors and all these different assets used to, to drill and mine for oil and all these other assets. And with all these fighting age males now migrated out in caravans all around the world, who's left to defend these nations? Who's left to defend their soil? Which is mindful then because what did Zelensky say yesterday? Zelensky said, if you're 18 to 60 years old, you can't leave. If you're a fighting fighting age male, if you're 18 to 60 and you're a man, you are not allowed to flee your country. You have to stay and you have to fight. And anybody who wants a weapon can basically get one. And they've even lowered the age restrictions. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, it's interesting because that's exactly the opposite of what happened in a lot of these other countries like Syria, um, Afghanistan, a lot of different countries in Afga- Africa. And now I get to meet them. When I go to the hospital, my nurse is generally from one of those countries. Uh, when I go there, I take a Lyft or an Uber. And guess what? The driver's from one of those countries. Yeah. And if I go to the restaurant and I go out to eat, um, the person washing the dishes is from one of those countries. So they got it all covered. All the hospitality uh, companies that uh, basically subscribed to the government's COVID lockdowns and to their own detriment are now getting rewarded by cheap labor. It's only going down, though, because you know these things are are part of the decay of society and the fabric of our society. We don't even know who we are anymore. Certainly the people coming through the southern border don't know who we are. They would know Thomas Jefferson if they read it in a book. They can't even read the book. But they're coming across our border and they're voting. And their vote neutralizes your vote. Their vote neutralizes your vote. That's number one. Number two, their job takes away your job because it's also like a pyramid structure. If we had Americans working these jobs and we have enough workers in our country, we're not short supply. People just don't want to do these other jobs 
that their skill set fits. There's a lot of college-educated people that don't have one skill to save your life, but somehow they think they're worth more. And that mentality has seeped in like a cancer because the to prop, our fabric of our society, and it's wrong. It's wrong because, because the people prop, think too much of themselves. They need to earn their stripes and work their way from the bottom to the top. And the other problem is, is there are a lot of people that go to college that drop out, and so they end up with a little bit of learning and no functional skills. So they, you know, they don't have the degree, they don't have, they don't have a trade, and they're and they're now more dependent on a low level position because there's nothing else they can do. Yeah. Well, you know, firing unvaxxed soldiers looks so stupid right now, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, uh, we're firing our soldiers at a t- at a point where we might have to go head to head with a nuclear power like Russia, right? And we're firing our soldiers. Um, and here, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the corruption. I, want, I have an audio clip I want to play. And Miranda Devine also wrote this. She says, as VP Biden lectured Ukraine on corruption, yet he ignored private and entreaties from mid-level State Department officials to stop his son, Hunter, from collecting $83,333 a month from the corrupt Ukrainian energy company Burisma, right? But here's an audio clip from Victoria Newland. Victoria Newland was rigging elections since 2014 in uh, Cook. Uh, I forget how you say his name, but here it is. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yats and Yuk, It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think, that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. I think Yats is... So this was uh, just listened to senior U.S. official Victoria Newland. They call her Tory in the State Department. And then U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Pyatt choosing the new Ukrainian government in 2014. This call was followed by a coup and billions of dollars in U.S. weapons since. How would U.S. respond if Russia did this in Canada is the question, right? And that's... That's our own State Department yeah. meddling in foreign elections. Exactly. Do you think they wouldn't meddle in our own elections? Yeah, of course. Of course. The, what they did in Ukraine, they perfected through practice. You say, how did they pull this off from the first try? It wasn't the first try. They've been doing this since the 50s, the 40s. Our government has been meddling in foreign elections in countries that we don't like trying to install different leaders. You know, Obama did it with Morsi in Egypt. For God knows what reason, he didn't like Mubarak because Mubarak was friend, uh, got along well with Israel. And so they decided, throw out Mubarak and put the Muslim Brotherhood guy in, Morsi. And that didn't work out because it never does for these morons. And now they have uh, al-Sisi in Egypt. They tried to do the same thing with al-Assad, but Russia didn't let them. And so there was this never-ending conflict that made the military-industrial complex happy and financially rich. But then you had Gaddafi in Libya, the northern part of Africa, and the uh, pipelines and inroads down into there. 
the gate gatekeepers of the northern part of South Africa. And what you ended up having there is Hillary Clinton laughing about it, saying, we came, we saw, he died. And then took all of his weapons, put them in a schoolhouse, uh, and stored them in a schoolhouse in Benghazi. Benghazi goes south because competing interests didn't like what they were doing there. And next thing you know, they ran those guns all the way through the seas by boat to al-Baghdadi, who was heading up ISIS. And al-Baghdadi was released from Camp Bukha in Iraq the same year that he set up headquarters in Raqqa, Syria. And so they were using ISIS forces to overthrow Syria. They uh, had other forces like, uh, uh, well, other forces to overthrow Gaddafi. And they had other forces like the Muslim Brotherhood to overthrow Mubarak. Talk about country and nation building and talk about this grand scheme of things. And this was great for the military-industrial complex. The State Department was involved. The CIA was involved because the CIA and the State Department are one and the same. And they're meddling now. They're taking that expertise and they're taking that knowledge that they've acquired and they're taking it and they're infiltrating our own country. And that's why... In the Russia with the Russian hoax, and that's why with the election rigging of 2016 and 2020, what we ended up having with the Russian hoax in 2016 and with the election rigging, with the help of George Soros and people like that, buying up voting machines for the last 20 years and working and practicing in countries like Venezuela to perfect their craft and then took it to the United States. And they rigged our elections because what they're selling is complete and utter nonsense. This globalist movement is absolutely ridiculous. But we got to move on. And there are other things happening today. Uh, Today and this weekend, we're going to be hearing about some unthinkable thing where if, if you you got to be now for, for some reason, if you want to be a Supreme Court Justice of the United States, you got to be, not only do you have to have, you know, female bodily uh, parts, you have to be a woman, but you also have to be black for some reason. Right, well, because Somehow, he's, he's that's trying the to, benchmark for greatness. He, is he's trying be a black to woman. pass some type of litmus test, which instead of doing a process where you look at who are the qualified candidates, so and if one of them happens to be a black woman, great. But all right, the choices, the three people that, um, and these are actually the first three names that originally surfaced, are D.C. Circuit Judge, I can't even pronounce her first name, Katanji well, Brown Jackson. And I have, a clip, I have a clip for this so we can play. Okay, and then U.S. Uh, District Judge yeah. Michelle J. Michelle Childs, and then California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger. Yeah, let's take a listen. President Biden has decided on his nominee for the Supreme Court to replace retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, according to a source familiar with the situation. CNN, the first report that yesterday, the White House wants to announce that nominee today, uh, but Punchbowl noting that it would hold off if the situation in Ukraine intervenes. Uh, Biden has interviewed Katanji Brown-Jackson, who serves on the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, J. Michelle Childs, uh, a federal judge in South Carolina, and Leandra Kruger, who sits on the California Supreme Court, among others. Biden, of course, has promised to nominate the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. So, 
President. So he calls her childs. We know a, I think a person it's, named Childs. I, I think it's Childs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, Cork, I, I Kevin Cork, uh, Kevin Cork from Fox News thinks it's Judge Katani Brown Jackson. Well, that was the very first name that was announced in the beginning, and uh, and like I said, those three names have been the three names that have been uh, been referred to the most. Although there have been about another four or five names yeah. that also surfaced. So we got another big announcement too, and that is the CDC is expected to change the science again today and uh, is no longer recommending indoor mask wearing for many Americans, and marking a major turning point in the pandemic. So let's take a listen. Good morning to you, George. That CDC guidance expected to officially mark a major turning point in this pandemic. Sources tell ABC News that the CDC will no longer recommend masking indoors in public settings for many Americans, depending on where they live. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky tweeting that the CDC is analyzing its data and will now focus on preventing the most severe COVID outcomes and minimizing the impact on the healthcare system. All of this coming as hospitalizations continue to drop from COVID across the country, down nearly 67% from last month. And of course, many states have already dropped their statewide mask indoor mandates, but it's still unclear whether this guidance from the CDC will apply to schools and to public transportation. George. We've been watching it today, okay, Ariel, thank you. Good morning to you, George. That CDC. We have another uh, clip. Guidance today that will ease indoor mask restrictions for many Americans. The guidance is expected to detail the next phase of the pandemic, urging local officials to focus on COVID hospitalizations, not infection rates, to determine policy. The new guidance will also give authorities a guide to re-implement restrictions if needed. All right. So I have some breaking news. Uh, okay. We were just talking about the Supreme Court nominee. And as we predicted, President Joe Biden is to nominate federal judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to, to be the first black woman on the Supreme Court. All righty. Um, so you heard you get, it here today. How'd you get the job? Uh, well, I was born a woman and I was born black. And that's how I got this job. <laughs> and she's in D.C. too. <laughs> it's just crazy, right? Yeah. It's absolutely stunningly crazy. Well, look at no. That that's I mean, our new. That's illegal in many uh, factions of society. That you know, if it was done in reverse, that's just so illegal. It's like, it's like we're only taking black. We're only taking white people, white men. White men is all we're going to hire today. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be. What do you think would happen there? I mean, that would, there'd be court cases right. all over the place. Right. And this is a Supreme Court justice. It just doesn't make any sense. Yes. Well, Does it? Do you? Well, if I don't Isn't think... That what, if I Martin don't, Luther King stood up against... I don't think you should be selecting people based on the color of their your, their skin. I think what you should gender. be doing... Or their gender. I think what you should be doing is having a wide pool of people where who are, who are presented based on their skills. And if you happen to pick somebody that checks a box, okay, great. But that shouldn't be you know yeah. the departure point. All right, so we got a couple of tweets we're going to read. Uh, funny that Hillary Clinton's lapdog in Ukraine helped install Viktor Yanukovych as president. Victoria Nuland was caught on tape talking about the U.S. meddling in the Ukraine election, of course. Okay, Obama's Victoria Nuland installed stooge Poroshenko loses Ukraine election in landslide 73% vote for a comedian. You will not succeed with your plan in Iran. Of course not. Um, uh, there's just so much going on here. Um, there's there's a whole thing about 
John McCain. Uh, there's another uh, thing that says Dmitry Al- Alperovich from CrowdStrike is on tape with Victoria Nuland helping to fix the 2014 Ukrainian presidential election by hacking emails of a candidate who Obama and Biden did not want winning election. Video on page earlier today. Okay, so that was Alperovich. CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike was, and Fusion GPS were hired by Mark Elias, um, and they were all part of the um, Russian hoax and the cover-up of Seth Rich. Oh, here, the Bradford file writes, did anyone ever find out why the wife of the mayor of Moscow paid Hunter Biden that $3.5 million? Anybody? Anybody? Um, raising price of oil... I wrote this uh, replying to the Bradford uh, file. Uh, So I was replying to this where it says, laughing out loud, John Kerry is worried this war might distract the world from his climate change scam. I said, raising the price of oil is indeed part of their climate initiative. So were the colonial pipeline and beef trade hackers. Yep. Sure enough. Um, then there's this really great meme that's floating around the internet. It's uh, President Trump in a break glass kind of thing. Yeah. It says, in case of emergency, break glass. And, and he's on the other the- side of glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. No, no. It's, you know, it's the uh, have, you, are you, have, you, are you, have you started missing me yet meme or whatever it is. Yeah. Miss me yet. There's another one that says, Putin's hometown, St. Petersburg. Russian citizens are standing with Ukraine at great risk to their personal safety to tell the world that Putin is not Russia. And Stephen Miller writes this, Biden's decision to shut down his own nation's energy production will be remembered as one of history's gravest self-inflicted wounds. It is the national security equivalent of sinking your own battleships. Let's see. Uh, GOP must force vote to bring all American energy back online immediately. And that is true. And uh, Donald Trump wrote this one thing. He says, Putin is playing Biden like a drum. It is not a pretty thing to watch. <laughs> That's so true. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the Scott Adams Show. The hour just moved along really, really fast. Be sure to use red, uh, promo code REDSTATE if you're going to buy anything over at MyPillow.com to get the biggest discounts available over at MyPillow. Again, we like the coil mattress. Check it out. And with that, also be sure to check out scottadamshow.com for the latest podcasts and check out magapack.org to find out what we're doing to advance America First policies to make America great again. And with that, my name is Scott Adams. My name is Leonora Cravetta. We'll see you next time on the radio. Just to bury my kids right up to there.